Welcome to my podcast, Traumatic Transformations, where we help you find hope, peace, and purpose after a big life change or a traumatic event. I'm your host, Gunjani Patel, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist, trauma specialist, and a neuroscience nerd. Join me as I dive deep into resiliency, post-traumatic growth, and normalize mental health to reduce the stigma associated with it. In each episode, I plan to deliver science-backed, actionable tips and strategies so you can take back the control over your life and be inspired to be the best version of yourself with each day forward. So tune in every Tuesday for a featured guest and every Thursday for a solo episode with me, where we unpack mind, body, brain, and spirit connections related to each episode with the featured guest. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin today. The purpose of this podcast is to inform you, educate you, and raise your awareness. It is not intended to replace any medical advice or professional help seeking that you may need. So please use this information wisely and any opinion that I cast is not to replace any medical advice. Before we start today, I would really like to ask you for a favor. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe so you never have to miss an episode. And if you would be so kind to please rate and review us, it would really help us with the algorithms. So it makes it easier for others to find us. Thank you so much. Welcome to another brand new episode of Traumatic Transformations. This is a two-part episode where we discuss perinatal mood disorders and postpartum depression and suicide with Amanda Anderson. She's a very dear friend and a fellow podcaster who has now dedicated her life to helping women get through postpartum depression, how she almost didn't survive, and now she's a survival guide for other women going through it. So we are going to discuss all things in this part one, perinatal disorders, what her partner did that saved her life, what we as a society could learn from her and do better to support others going through it. So please tune in and listen. I would like to dedicate this episode to all the moms, um, Nima Pakta, actually, um, one, of the, one of the women, she's a friend of friends, and we recently lost her to postpartum depression in July. And her family, um, because of everything related to mental health and the stigma associated with it, um, her family decided to make her like and wanted to do as much as they could to raise awareness on mental health. She was a big part of why my story and why this podcast is now um, in works and in place. And I really am so thankful to Nima for uh, sending us this message of, you know, spreading the awareness for mental health and reducing the stigma associated with it. And to all the mothers and the families out there that lost um, their dear ones to the PPD journey. Being a mental health therapist, I know how difficult it is to deal with a loss of a family member, depression, anxiety, and all the mental health struggles that we don't normally tend to discuss. So I really am so thankful to Amanda for being here, to helping me spread the word, for um, educating us about, you know, what postpartum depression is and what people and women go through as a result of that. So if we can have more of these conversations, if we can normalize mental health so that more 
people like Nima and their families and other women struggling through PPD um, don't have to go through um, that struggle. So thank you so much, Amanda. And thank you, Nima, for watching over us and giving me this purpose. So thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about you. Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so honored to be here. Um, so, I mean, a quick recap now, I guess I have four children. Um, I'm a military spouse. My husband is at the time of this recording is deployed mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we're kind of juggling all those things, but rewind. What? I said hats off to you and thank you so much for your sacrifice and his sacrifice for keeping us safe. So thank you. For oh, you're so sweet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, being in the military is kind of his dream. And so it's easy Aww. to support that, you know, it's, yeah. he's doing what he wants to be doing. And so, yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, rewind um, back to 2015 and I had my second baby and she's now five, obviously it's 2020 and she, her and I have a very special bond because we went through so much her first year and, um, a lot of that is from me having postpartum depression and I was never fully diagnosed with postpartum psychosis, but it was almost there. Like it was on the verge. Um, I guess the reason why they didn't diagnose me with psychosis was because I wasn't hearing voices mm. with like the visions that I was having, mm-hmm. but I was having like awful, terrible visions that we'll get into, I think. Um, but anyway, so postpartum depression really encompassed that whole first year for her. And when she was about eight months old, I was admitted on a suicide watch. And after I got out of the hospital, um, I decided I needed something for me. And so I went to school and I got my art degree. And now, I mean, this is a very quick synopsis, but now I'm teaching art as a form of self-care online. So that's a very quick thing. I know we'll dive into a lot of those different things, but that's kind of (laughs) who I am and why I'm here. And that's awesome. And that's exactly why I wanted to share your story to sort of, you know, give my audience a recap of you almost weren't here to talk about this. Um, so I really am so excited that you do what you do now and, you know, are other women's survival guide to what they can do when they're going through postpartum depression, because I think it is one of those topics that we don't dive into, discuss as a culture enough. And I really think that, you know, hopefully through this, through my work here and through yours, we can break those cycles and shift those perspectives and mindsets and people to sort of start paying attention to some of these things. Because I think a lot of times in mental health, what happens is um, we stay in denial and ignorance that, oh, this won't happen to me. And then we react instead of preventing and being informed and, you know, just knowing that that could be a possibility. And if it's not for us, it could be a possibility for other people around us that could happen. I think we, in, in terms of mental health, we just tend to think this won't happen to us. So let's not prepare for it. And, you know, um, I, I want to do my hardest to shift that perspective in people, to inform people what that looks like, what that feels like for people going through it. And you could be the person going through it. And as a society, we can do a better job in supporting the people that are going through it. So tell us a little bit about your postpartum or perinatal. Uh, and if you would be so kind to discuss the, de- you know, what the difference is, if you want to, otherwise I can talk about it, but tell us what your perinatal postpartum depression look like, because it's different for different m- women. Yeah. So, um, 
I mean, taking it way back, <laughs> um, <laughs> we bought our house. We so we were living on base at the time in Texas, and um, it was not a good living environment just because of poor military housing, like the quality of it. And so, um, because of okay, hold on, I'm going to start this over. Okay, yeah. So while I was pregnant with Delaney, um, I we were living in military housing, and the quality of the housing was really terrible. There was lots of mold and um, really different harsh things we were exposed to, probably lead, things like that. And now I can probably relate to um, our living environment as to why I kept going into preterm labor with her. Mm. And so during my pregnancy, I got put on bed rest, which we didn't relate that it could have been my living environment, like the mold and the toxins and things that were causing issues. And then it kept causing issues because I wasn't allowed to leave the house, Mm, you know? So anyways, I was, I am not one to be down. Like I am one that's doing and going and moving all the time. And so that I think kind of set the tone Mm. for it. Yeah. Um, But as soon as I got the clear, I think right around like 30, gosh, 37, 36 weeks, something like that, where it was kind of safe if the baby came a little early, it was no big deal, maybe around 35 weeks. um, We were like, we can't live in this house anymore. We just can't live here. And so we um, started looking for a house and we bought one and Mm -hmm. it just so happened we closed on my due date. And so I was packing. Yeah. (laughs) I was, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So I was packing and whatnot. I went into labor and then I had her the day we moved into our house. So I had her at like four o'clock in the morning. And by 7 a.m., my husband was getting the moving truck and meeting up with all of his buddies and moving our house and, you know, juggling our three year old at the time. And so he was, I mean, he goes down in record for super dad that day because he juggled me and the new baby at the hospital and moving and our three-year-old and he just was a champ. But because of that, I got home from the hospital and immediately went into unpacking and, you know, like we didn't have a pantry. So I had to convert one of the coat closets into a pantry. So three days after I had a baby, I was at Lowe's doing some improvement projects. And, um, we bought that house with the intention that I could open an in-home daycare. So that way I could be home with the kids and, you know, and work and still have some income. And so it was like, we got in the house and immediately I was like, go, 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 go. I need to get this set up so we can have this daycare so we can have this income. And it was just like all of these things that, you know, normally when you move into a house and you want to do those things, that's fine. You just kind of jump into those projects. But when you, come home from the hospital the day after you move into the house, that's when it's like, you got to give yourself the time to rest. But I did not give myself that time. Yeah. And then when my baby was two months old, I started taking in daycare kids Mm. and I got all the certifications that I needed. And I opened up by the time she was two months old. So I went from one easy three-year-old to a two month old baby to now adding six children, 50 hours a week. So 
I think it was just this constant moving, 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 moving. Yeah. And then all of the pressure that the Air Force specifically put on me to, and I think under normal circumstances, it wouldn't have been so bad, but it was like, because I had a newborn baby and because, you know, I already had all these things, they expected me to, if the kids were playing nicely and I had to go to the restroom, I had to like make the kids stop playing and have them come sit right outside the bathroom door because I was leaving them out of my sight, you know? And so, and there was like all these regulations on my house. It just felt like my home was not a home. It was like an institutional, like a facility, you know? Right. Right. So there was like all that pressure and all the things that my home had to be perfect at all times. And the thing was, is even after all these children left for the day, I still had two small children that I had to care for my, like on my own, you know, my husband's a firefighter. So he works 48 hour shifts. So he's gone for, you know, two days at a time. And then he's home for two days. And so anyways, I think it was just this constant state of exhaustion from not allowing myself to rest. Right. And so my baby was born in August. I opened up my childcare in September. And by December, my husband was like, something's not right here. Like, are you okay? Like, you know, he started tuning into that. And I remember just like being this constant ball of rage and emotions. Like I was crying all the time. I was yelling all the time. I was like super frustrated with everything and annoyed and just, you know, like little things would like set me off. Mm hmm. And I, like you mentioned earlier, you know, just like there is a thing called postpartum rage. Um, You know, um, I think we don't pay attention to that enough, but I really think, like you said, you know, there are certain things. And one of the other things that sort of caught my attention was also perfection. I think in new motherhood, we tend to have, and I'm, I'm starting to see patterns and trends that most of the time that we see in new motherhood and in related to also postpartum depression, um, women going through it is this sense of perfection and how everything has to be right. And we have such high standards for us and all this pressure that we put upon ourselves and subconsciously take on the pressure that the society puts on us. Yeah. And you know, I'll be honest here. Pinterest doesn't help. (laughs) (laughs) Social media in general, and like all these like beautiful Instagram families and these YouTube families and all of that. I mean, nothing against them, right? but the, the level of expectations that that almost feels like makes us feel like we're falling short. Exactly. Is, you know, So like birthday parties and things, I felt like it had to be this, like, I had to make a beautiful food table and I had to like have these beautiful invitations and it had to be this theme. And I'm like, I don't know, Amazon prime. If it gets here by the birthday party, great. If not, whatever. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, but I'm glad you say that now, but you know, it took you quite a transition to get there. Yeah. Because and I really wanted to focus on what you just said about social media, because, you know, you're in you and I are in the same group that I founded uh, just after my conversation with you on your podcast um, about, you know, pregnant and new moms group. And in that in that I really emphasize it's a pregnant and new moms mental wellness support group on Facebook and IG. Um, but um, it's really important that we talk about social media and how toxic it can be if we lose sight 
sight of what we're looking for and the whole comparison game, regardless of whether we want to or not as new moms, because we see all these women living their perfect picture, perfect family um, photo life. And behind the pictures are so there's so much pain, so much stuff that we don't get to see. Fortunately, I get to see it in my world. I mean, unfortunately, um, through my work. But I think when people just see the pictures and they don't see the stories behind them, I think it, it really can be very deceptive thinking, oh, everybody else. And I did the same thing for after my child, two years, same thing. I just, I switched myself off of social media. And now looking back, I'm just like, I wish I followed the educational, you know, psychologists and therapists and all these moms who are doing amazing things, yet being supportive and being there for one another and telling us how messy and, you know, physically exhausting and struggling new motherhood can be, which is what I wanted to hear while I was pregnant. And I wish I knew that while I was raising a toddler, because I, in my mind, was thinking everybody's living a perfect life. And I'm the only one who is feeling fat because of breastfeeding. I have lost my identity. I have to get ready for 45 minutes before I step out of the door when I used to just be able to take a key and leave. I mean, there are so many changes we go through as a mother. So yeah, um, you, but I want to get, get back to your, the part of your narrative where you were talking about, you know, your husband was catching that you were not doing well. Um, but yeah, social media sort of, we got like, <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, and you know, I mean, just to add in a little bit about what you were saying, um, there's a quote that I hold on to, um, Christy Wright said it, she's one of my business coaches and my mentors. Um, but she says, if you're looking for happiness, you're not going to find it on Facebook. Yes, absolutely. And so anyways, I just wanted to leave us with that little quote. Yeah. Because it's something that I hold on to very dearly. Um, it it kind of got me through that hard time and realizing that there's those expectations that we kind of just need to drop sometimes. Absolutely. And, so. and it's hard when we are when we don't have material like this to fall back to, when we don't hear real mom stories and struggles. Because sometimes it's not that, you know, most women go ha- have to go through all the extremities of PPD and not everyone's PPD looks the same. You know, it looks different for different women. And, you know, um, the, the, the underlying issues can be similar, but it's very individual's journey through that experience and their families. So I really think it's important to to keep in mind not to compare ourselves to others, um, period. But, you know, especially through our journeys of postpartum, um, you know, motherhood. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's so important to say too, because after I got out of the hospital and I was telling- Kind of rewind back as in how you got to the hospital. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. (laughs) So don't let me forget to tell you after you got out of the hospital and my view on postpartum. Um, so December rolls around and my husband's like, something's not right. And so, um, you know, he kind of talked to me a little bit and he kept like, just bringing it up. Like, I'm worried about you. And, you know, I'd kind of brush him off. Like, I'm fine. It's okay. Whatever. You know, I didn't, I think I'm stubborn, you know, and I didn't see what he, I have that very bad quality. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but it, you know, you can strong, you can call it strong willed or whatever. But in this case, I needed his, his empathy and his, his vision, you know? And so I was very grateful for him. Um, I think right around January is when I finally let him like talk me into going to the doctor when I finally was like, okay, fine. You know? So he'd been talking to me on and off about it for a month, you know, just expressing his concern. 
So tell us how can men on our show know what to tell their women or what to tell their partners or wives to sort of help get them to get the help that they need. I mean, what did your husband do? Not that it's a remedy for all, but sometimes men don't know. And sometimes men do a great job. I mean, you know, I think ideas couldn't hurt. So I wish my husband was here right now doing a guest podcast with this. Yes. Maybe when he gets home, we can do that Yes, because his perspective on this is so beautiful. And I've actually wanted to have him as a guest on my podcast too. Yes. We'll have to. to, So yes, his internet where he's at right now really sucks. And so (laughs) um, we can't really do it. But when he gets home, I would love to do that because he has this beautiful way of just being hyper aware. Mm. And I think that's a beautiful gift for him because I know a lot of men don't, you Mm. know what I mean? It's like my husband sees when the trash needs to be taken out. He sees when the dishes need to be done. He sees when my mental health is not in check. Mm. And so, um, I, you know, that is a huge blessing because I, I, I know that there are some women with husbands out there that aren't as hyper aware. Um, so I think that's kind of the first step is to, I mean, I don't know how to train that in someone. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's about training them. I think it's just about educating and informing and your goals as a relationship and your marriage, you know? Yeah. Um, Just because you're married, it doesn't mean it's an ideal situation or the most quality marriage or just because it's a relationship, you know? So I really, I think it depends on the person's perspective on that, but some people want that and some people don't know how, and some people um, are still learning and getting informed. So I really think it's important to sort of shed a light on that as in how did he get you to a place where he said you know what because sometimes people try and then people like you and I who are stubborn or strong-willed they don't listen they don't Mm -hmm. you know uh, play by that so 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 how can we sort of so I just wanted to get your perspective on that yeah so I mean I think really what it comes down to is he was hyper aware that something was wrong he could tell that I wasn't myself He could tell that I was easily set off by just little things. Like Mm. if the Tupperware lids fell out of the cupboard the wrong way, I would like throw things and get mad. And Mm. he's like, what? This is not my wife. Like, this is not like what happened. Right. And so, um, you know, I think just being aware of those situations and then being brave enough to be like, honey, what is wrong? Like, You know what I mean? Instead of being like, dude, calm down. It's right. There's right. something wrong here and I want to help you. Yes. Um, so I think it's the perspective and how you approach it because any woman that's already mad telling her to calm down is not going to do anything. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a big believer of that. <laughs> if I to calm down, I get mad more. And I'm just yeah. like, I shouldn't, but I, I know how to calm down. If I'm mad, I'm really hurt about something or something is really off. So yeah. Talk me with empathy. Try and sort of put yourself in my shoes and maybe we can talk. Yeah. So we just celebrated 10 years in marriage. Like we just had our 10 year anniversary. Thank you. Um, But at the time, I mean, this was five years ago. So we were only five years into our marriage. But I mean, over the last 10 years, we have really grown to, especially with my mental health after this five year mark, when we went through all of this, he has really been in tune to what I need. And, you know, sometimes I need to be put in my place, like, lady, chill out. But mm-hmm. for the most part, he can be like, are you okay? Like, how can I support you? I understand you're frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, that is also, I think, a lot to do with how he's raised. Right. Um, his family is very calm and very empathetic and just very willing to help people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
anyways, I, that perspective and that approach sat really well with me. And I think that's why I was open to actually going to the doctor. Mm-hmm. But for me though, I was having muscle aches and body aches. And, um, overall I was just, I didn't feel well. Mm-hmm. And so what got me to the doctor was the muscle aches and the pain that I was having. And I thought for certain they were going to diagnose me with like, I don't know, rheumatoid arthritis arthritis, or like, I don't know, something weird, right? Mm-hmm. I I was for certain they were going to diagnose me with something and I don't know, start physical therapy. But instead, when I get there, the doctor's like, lady, you've got depression. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, this is depression. This is all mental health stuff. Absolutely. You know, two thirds of the PCP in the emergency room visits are mental health related. They're stress really? response or mental health related. It's if you are feeling so stressed at, through unresolved trauma and your amygdala, which is like the fear and the survival mechanism of your brain, it's always firing when it's supposed to only fire when you are in threat in extreme conditions for 45 seconds. But if you live in prolonged period of stress response, such as conditions like, you know, exhaustion or not being able to manage your stress well, or through conditions that you can control like PPD, depression, unresolved trauma, that can, it's not causative, but it's correlated. If your stress is not responded to in having all these things in place and diagnosed and, you know, um, notice, then it exhibits itself in, um, physical body conditions because our trauma absolutely it's like our brain brain mind body and spirit are all connected we just think it's all in our mind so we won't even feel it you know we shouldn't but the body has a way of alerting us to pay attention to our mental health so a lot of times people will exhibit you know all this uh, physical aches fatigue um, diet, you know, asthma conditions, low immune responses, headaches, migraines, all kinds of things as a result of mental health conditions, autoimmune diseases, autoinflammation diseases. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, those symptoms, the rage, like uncontrollable rage, Mm -hmm. um, the high, strong emotions, I was either crying or mad or, you know what I mean? There was no like middle ground. It was just all over the place. Yes. Um, and then the physical body aches. I think those were the three big ones, not knowing then. Right. Because here's the thing too, that gets me is we are only giving one six week postpartum checkup and not once is it said, at least not to me. Right. Not once is it said, please watch for rage, uncontrollable, uncontrollable emotions and body aches. Not once is that said, because had I known that that was a symptom that I should be watching for, I probably would have gotten help sooner. So, and then this things that I can notice in women, since we're on the topic, um, through new motherhood, you know, journeys and postpartum journeys, um, perfection, mom guilt, you know, just like postpartum, rage is a thing that I didn't know that it existed. And I found myself flying off the handle for no reason and then beating myself up over it. And it was bad, but yeah. And then, you know, the guilt that we feel as mothers that we should be working, we should be attending to ourselves or we should be doing some self-care, but no, you know, I won't be a good mother or my child needs me 24, seven, 365. That's just unrealistic. Those things we impose on ourselves or from the society and we don't, we lose track of that as new yep. mother. And little things like taking a shower 
is now viewed as a form of self-care. And it's like, no, that's a basic necessity. You're, you have the right as a human being on this planet to be able to take a shower. Right. Um, it's not part of your self-care routine. Right. You know what I mean? But even then still, I'm like, oh, I finally get a shower. This is really nice. This is part of my self-care routine, which is, well, it's great. Right. Um, but it is, you're right. And it doesn't need to be glorified as this some like holistic well-being <laughs> practice when we just need a stinking shower. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, going to the doctor with all the symptoms or whatever. And then she says, I have postpartum. She didn't tell me I have postpartum. She said, you have depression. So she puts me on these meds. I'm not going to say what they are because meds affect people differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do kind of want to give that disclaimer. Um, I know that I have a very different reaction to the meds I was put on than what a lot of people do. And meds do different things. It's like meds. It's like I'll do a whole episode on that, just educating people on what they are because there's such a taboo related to medications too. And especially around new motherhood and postpartum, it's like if you're breastfeeding or if you're depressed, you can take medication. And that is absolutely not true because there are medications that are meant for women through this part of their journey. They just educated to about it. So, and that was, I think the other part is that the, my doctor was just like a general physician in the military. She wasn't trained in any of this and I was breastfeeding at the time and it was important to me. Mm-hmm. And it was, I it felt like at the time that was my only way of connecting to my baby because right. with postpartum, there's like this disconnect yep, yep, that yep. Um, happens with your baby and mm-hmm. it's sad, but it's true. Oh, absolutely. But, breastfeeding was my way of holding on to that. So it was important to me. And she initially prescribed me. I kept telling her in the office, I'm breastfeeding, I'm breastfeeding, I'm breastfeeding. And then she still prescribed me something that I couldn't take while breastfeeding. When I picked it up at the pharmacy, the bottle on it said, do not take while breastfeeding. Mm. So I went back to her. It was all in the same clinic. Went back to her office and they were like, she's on her lunch break. I'm like, well, she's going to have to get off her lunch and come over and fix this because she messed it up. And so (laughs) I kind of like held my ground on there. I was like, I'm not staying here through her lunch break because she made a mistake. So she needs to get off her lunch and come fix this. Anyways, besides the point, I'm a little firm, but um, (laughs) I... I do what I need to do. Anyways, um, so she she came back out and she she was like, I am so sorry. I did not mean to mess this up. Um, let me see if I can fix this. So then she just prescribes me anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, I feel like there was no questions asked, like what a psychiatrist would. Right. You know what I mean? Like they right. they would go through that process, but she wasn't a psychiatrist, so I can't expect her to do that. Right. Regardless, she put me on this medicine. And I felt like it worked for a minute. And then a couple weeks in, once it really kicked in, I was going through these horrible bouts of like super jittery. I can't, I don't know what I need to do. I'm just super overwhelmed. Like everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was shaky. I couldn't finish the sentence. I would start one task and bounce around the house. And all of a sudden I have like 12,000 things. My sister told me at the time, you're like everywhere, but nowhere. Like, mm-hmm. what are you accomplishing right now? Right. Um, cause she was, she was overwhelmed just watching me. Right. And she's like, what are you doing? Like you're everywhere, but nowhere. Anyway. So I'd go through those like crazy high manic anxiety fits. And then all of a sudden it would drop super low into this depression. 
And it wasn't terrible at first, but it was low enough that I went back to the doctor and I was like, these meds are not working. Thank you for and, letting us know that because I think that's really important because I don't want people to take away that. See, this is exactly why I don't take meds. You yeah. know, uh, you know, and so, yeah. well, I mean, <laughs> we'll get into my story and I still, I yeah. Anyways, um, I do believe that there's meds out there for different situations, but it, unfortunately it does take some trial and error. Exactly. And, and I think that's really important to talk about because with psych meds, they don't, do the same things for everybody. And I am going to have a couple of psychiatrists on my show later on, and we'll talk about this. So I really want people to be informed that all psych meds are not bad. Psych meds take trial and error with different people and their symptoms. What, what, what works for one won't work for the other. What side effects one med does for one person might not do the same for the other. So it yes. does not mean that the side effects, what, what happened to Amanda might happen to me. And that's how the others, other people's body re- react. Yeah. As well. So well, it's really and important to keep that in mind. But that I does mean, not mean that they're not meant for um, treating a condition that they say they are. Because yeah. Well, and again, that goes into these meds that I got put on are very, very, very common for treating postpartum depression because they are breastfeeding friendly. Right. And many, 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 many women have great experiences on them. Exactly. However, I, well, well and oh, hold on, let me, let me finish this and then I'll get to that point. So I went to this doctor And I was like, these meds are not working. And what I wished she would have done, maybe from the get-go, is like, hey, I'm putting you on these meds. I'm also going to give you a referral to a psychiatrist. So that way, if you feel they're not working, you have someone you can go to. Absolutely. She did not do that. Instead, she just upped my dose. Yes. (laughs) So uh, you and I are on video, so I can see your face. (laughs) If you guys, you guys can't see her, but her eyes just got really big when I said that. So that's why I said yes. Yes. Anyway, so um, she upped my dose. And within a couple weeks, these crazy manic episodes was significantly worse. And the roller coaster downhill to that depression got even deeper. And it was because she upped my dose. So it extended that roller coaster, you know, that length. It was, and it was almost instant. It was like a, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do to blank. Yep. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, this is why I wish my husband was here for this part, because when I was in that blank, like deep depression. Yep. This is when I started having the psychosis visions. Mm. Um, and it's reassuring now to look back at it and know that it wasn't me. It was the meds, Mm. but I mean, I'm going to get a little graphic here. So this is the disclaimer. If people are triggered by this, maybe turn it off because I will, I'm going to just be real here and tell people my story because I think it's important for people to know that they're not alone. And that postpartum depression is very scary. Um, But the visions that I was having, it was like I would sink down into these low things. And all that, like, I was normally just, you know, sitting there watching my kids play in the living room. And then this vision would come and I would clearly see me hitting my kids with a baseball bat. Or there was one time that my anxiety was on high because family was coming to visit. And... I asked my husband to go clean the guest bathroom for his family. And 
I was like running around trying to clean, clean, clean. And I go downstairs and he's folding laundry and putting it away. And normally I'd be like, oh, hey, thanks for doing that. But can you please go clean the bathroom? No big deal, right? Like he's still Mm -hmm. helping. Mm -hmm. My brain like got so mad that he wasn't doing what I asked him to do. And I was had so much anxiety, like my house needs to be perfect. This goes back to the perfection. Mm-hmm. My house needs to be perfect. These people are coming. And I mean, it's just his parents. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. They're here to help. Right. It's, you know, in but that phase, I really think between zero, you know, from pregnancy, the fourth trimester to three years, I really think that something happens just in terms of the brain that it was we, I mean, over time it gets better. I don't want to make it so scary that it's always like that for people or dramatic, but you know, it, it, it is hard. Sometimes you just cannot control certain things that you thought that you were mostly in control of before or when you get after you get through this journey. It is so hard to explain for people who are not going through it. And that's one of the things that struck me about Nima when she was say, saying that. It's like, I just felt so lonely and I just felt like people wouldn't understand. Yes. Because people yes. don't understand other than if you have actually gone through that experience. Well, and then what makes it hard is trying to talk to people about it. And then there's that fear of like, because if I told someone that I was having visions of me hitting my kids with a baseball yep. bat, like I could have very, taken away. yeah, you know yep. what I mean? And yep. there's that yep. fear. Yep. And so, I mean, so here we are that night, right? Like my husband was helping, but my brain, mm. ha- w- like I was so anxious and like losing it. And then all of a sudden it sunk straight down and I was having visions of like me stabbing him or, you know what I mean? So it got really scary. But then when I would come out of those visions, my husband says when I was deep in them, there was no talking to me. There was no getting my attention. It was like this blank, dull. He said it was like empty, lifeless stare, like mm-hmm. super scary, super creepy. Mm-hmm. But I was not there. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I don't remember a lot of my baby's first year. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny because my, so my daughter, that's my second daughter and my daughter, that's my fourth daughter. They look exactly alike. Oh, like, wow. Exactly alike. Except for my five-year-old has blonde hair and my baby has brown hair. It's wow. the only difference, yeah. but they look exactly alike. And my husband always says like, Joe looks so much like Lainey when she was a baby. Aww. And it breaks my heart a little bit because I don't remember that. Wow. And I have to compare pictures because my brain wasn't there. Mm. So anyways, um, I never went back to the doctor mm. after because last time she was up my dose. Right. And, you know, I didn't feel like she was giving me the help I needed. Again, that goes back into had I known what I know now, I would have advocated for a referral for a psychiatrist. Absolutely. Um, because there are psychiatrists that focus um, on maternal postpartum depression yes, and they have dedicated their specialty of psychiatry in just that. So yes. I really think if you can't find a, 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 you know, psychiatrist with that specialty, at least refer you for yourself or find yourself a psychiatrist as opposed to just a PCP, nothing wrong with a PCP, but these conditions are special specialized and they need, you know, that specialized training. Yes. So, um, his family came in town, um, and that's when I had put in, I want to say, like, a few days before that, I my mental health got so bad that I was like, I can no longer continue watching other people's kids. 
Wow. Like, yeah, absolutely. Mainly for, I mean, can you imagine going through all this stuff and still having six other children in your care 50 hours a week? I can't even do it with one kid. (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding? (laughs) So anyways, I put in, I gave all of my parents the notice, like, and they, they knew that I was struggling with postpartum depression. So it wasn't like I totally blindsided them. You know, I saw them two times a day and then they pick up and drop off. And so we, we, chatted and I mean, they understood and, and they, they were so gracious. Right. Um, but I gave them my two week notice and I said, I need to take a maternal health or mental health, like leave. Right. I open again in the future. I don't know. Right. Right now. I just need that rest time. Absolutely. And, um, I actually am very, at the time I was really upset, but now looking back, I'm very grateful when I sent out that two-week notice, I also sent it to the Air Force um, FCC coordinator. It's the family child care coordinator. Mm-hmm. She was basically the one that would do my licensing, and mm-hmm. she would come check in yeah. on me and make sure everything was good. Um, she would do random visits, and she was the one that I was like, crap, Jean's here. I have to be on my game, you know? Right, right, right. But I was very grateful for her. Um, a couple days after I gave my notice— she had called the parents after pickup and was like, we've arranged for new childcare for your children. Um, they're going to go to this place. Um, Amanda's no longer doing childcare. But then what got me, what made me upset was I heard from my, the daycare parents. They're like, Miss Jean just called me. How come you're not doing childcare? I thought you still had another week. And that's when I had to call the coordinator and be like, what's going on? So they closed my daycare. But when they came... It was, they said, we're concerned for you. Mm. And obviously you're concerned enough that you had to put your notice in. Mm. So we're just giving that, that time to you a week early. Mm. And so it was, it was a blessing for me mm. um, because three days later, that's when I was admitted on my suicide watch. Okay. Um, so I would have still had all those kids in my care mm. when I was admitted had the Air Force not closed me when I did. Or when they did. And I'm really, really grateful. You know, the FCC program is really, really fantastic. There's a lot of people that are looking out for those small children and making sure that they have quality providers and making sure that the providers are well taken care of too. So amazing. um, Anyways, just, you know, a plug in for (laughs) FCC providers because they're so fantastic. Um, And they do really do a lot for those kids. Anyways, besides the point, I was admitted on a suicide watch and what happened is, so I was seeing, um, the Air Force has this program called New Parent Support Program. And it was where like a nurse would come to my house mm. and she would help me specifically with like the struggles that I had with parenting um, mm. or even the daycare kids. Like if they don't listen to me, like instead of snapping at them, this is how we can, you know, do things. Right. And so she would help me with those things. But she was a very, you know, she turned into a very good friend. And she also made me feel safe that I could tell her what was going on. Mm. I was seeing just a general therapist. Um, I was doing um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which I actually really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I confided in the new parent support nurse practitioner, she was like, I think you need to see someone that specializes in postpartum and maternal Absolutely. mental health. So they switched me over to this new therapist that specializes in women's and postpartum mental health. And she was in the same hospital, like Mm -hmm. in the same clinic Mm -hmm. as the ER. 
And so I go to her appointment and I don't even remember what I said. I don't remember any of it. I just remember her walking me down to the ER saying they have doctors there that can adjust your meds. That's what we're going to do. But that was her way knowing that I'm too stubborn to get me there. And so they had that. It was kind of against my wheel, against my will. I had went to a therapy appointment and I didn't come home for five days. Um, So I want to speak a little on that because I think that's really important. And I think that's where that's one of the places where mental health gets a really bad rap. You know, Um, people just think either their kids will be taken away or think, you know, um, you are just going to be admitted against your will for whatever reason. And I'm a mandatory reporter being a licensed therapist. If somebody tells me I keep everything confidential um, and I, I give this disclaimer when I see people for the first time, but um, as mandatory reporters, it is our duty. If somebody says that they are not, or we reassess, it's not like we just go out there and walk you to the ER or mm-hmm. involuntarily put you under hold against your wishes. We talk about it. We do it with empathy because obviously we won't, we don't want to traumatize you through that process. Most people should do that, but I, I can't speak for everybody. Education, but there is absolutely a purpose for it, and there is so much study and science behind it that if, if people, when they're going through these hard times and almost about to do it, they are not going to ag- admit or agree to staying there for five days. Um, and so tell us about your journey and then I'll sort of continue this part of my education. If you liked what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us and see you next time. Have a good week until then. Mm-hmm.